0: This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC.
1: And come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks.
0: Women's WCHA.
1: So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies
0: the National Hockey League.
1: Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to
0: to episode number 64 for the Huskies Warming House Podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick And Nick, welcome in on this Sunday morning here. A little rainy in my neck of the woods, uh, fairly sunny in yours. We'll touch on that a little bit later, as well as the rain and sun of the Denver Pioneer season last year, going sub 500 for the first time since their inception into the NCHC. We're going to touch on some NHL news, specifically the Toronto Maple Leafs and their uh, collapse or carry price-isms, if you will, uh, against the Montreal Canadiens losing in seven games in that one. You won't want to miss it and we'll start this week with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View news and notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos and more. Go to centericeview.com.
1: Starting off the Hussies illustrated weekly roundup, we have the NHL playoffs. And they are cruising right along here in round number two. Tampa now, after last night's victory, now holds a three-to-one stranglehold over the Carolina Hurricanes. Boston, now the Islanders are now deadlocked at two uh, two games apiece. Vegas has also cut into their deficit against the Colorado Avalanche. That series now two to one in favor of the Azure Montreal up two to nothing. And they're serious against the Winnipeg Jets, looking to take a 3 nothing series lead tonight here against the Jets. Meanwhile, the worst team in the NHL has finally gotten a reward, Noah, as the Buffalo Sabres did win something of this offseason. They won the draft lottery, uh, so which is good. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, which uh, was going to be a top-three spot, they move up only one spot to number two. And the Anaheim Ducks uh, just switched back one spot to number three overall. New Jersey and Columbus run up the top five Detroit drops uh, from fourth to sixth. Um, and, you know, honestly here, know what this, there's no really consensus player in this year's draft. Honestly, Canadian defenseman and Michigan Wolverine defenseman Owen power seems to be uh, the favorite, he is the top ranked North American skater in this year's draft. Swedish winger William Eklund is also the number one ranked international skater, according to NHL's Central Scouting. The Sabres have picked first overall three times in their fan trice history. Uh, Gilbert Perreault in 1970, uh, Pierre Turgeon, that, re- that name might ring some bells in the National Hockey League. He was first overall in 1987 and then most recently Rasmus Dahlin first overall in 2018.
0: Slight correction there, Nick. Detroit actually did not drop from four to six. They dropped from one to four last year and currently sit in six this year. But nonetheless, uh, the Detroit Red Wings with Steve Eiserman at the helm, looking to continue their growth development, uh, getting back to the franchises of old. The NHL also prepares to announce a bevy of award winners during the Stanley Cup semifinals and cup final. And the Minnesota Wild have a couple of names in the fold. Captain Jared Spurgeon joins Carolina's Jacob Slavin. And Toronto's Austin Matthews as Lady Bank finalists for the player who exhibits the best sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct combined with a high standard of play. Not surprisingly, rookie sensation Kirill Kaprizov does top that Calder Trophy finalist for Rookie of the Year. 51 points in 55 games for the Russian, followed by Dallas forward Jason Robertson and Carolina goaltender Alex Nedeljkovic. Every team is also required to announce a nominee for the Bill Masterson Trophy, given each year to the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. Masterson, who of course did play for the Minnesota North Stars, died on January 15th of 1968 as a result of head injuries that he sustained falling into the post during a game. Minnesota's selection this year was Matt Dumba. Finally, in other wild news, 2020 first round draft pick Marco Rossi has finally hit the ice for the first time since his COVID-19 scare in late November of 2020 as he prepares to make a return to North America and the state of hockey.
1: Let's look at some transactional news. Noah we're here, uh, the 2021 World uh, Championship for the women's will actually finally take place in Calgary, Alberta, Canada from August 20th to 30th. Uh, hockey kind of didn't make that announcement just this last Wednesday. The event was so, uh, supposed to uh, take place in Nova Scotia in May, but it was abruptly canceled just weeks before the scheduled start date due to COVID-19 restrictions. There were some talks, you know what, that maybe would end up in Texas, but uh, good to see that it's finally gotten rescheduled uh, in Canada. Again, in the city of Calgary on Long Island, the New York Islanders new arena UBS is coming along pretty darn well. It's a new 17,000 seat capacity arena. It will open this fall to the Islanders replacing the 14,000 seat NASA Coliseum and also replacing the horrendously not hockey built Barclays Center, which I think uh, the NHL is looking to really get out of uh, design replicates NASA's loud and old school nature while accommodating of the new amenities, concerts, as well as more. Uh, heading to Columbus, 26-year-old Seth Jones seems to be destined to test the free agency open market after the completion of next season. Jones informed a team who won't sign an extension with the club once he's eligible to do so and will be an unrestricted free agent for the first time in his career following the 2021-22 season. Uh, at a current $5.4 million cap hit uh, with 233 points and 381 games, uh, Columbus hopes Jones will stick with a team who is also searching for a new head coach after John Tortorella. And the Columbus Blue Jacks mutually parted ways. Finally, let's go back up north towards the Canadian border here. The Vancouver Canucks have signed highly touted prospect Vasily Podlo, uh, Pod Colson? Yeah, that's correct. Pod Colson. Yep. Pod Colson, yeah. You can tell it's early in a Sunday, folks. Uh, to his entry level deal, uh, the 10th overall pick from 2019 has 22 points in 51 games for St. Petersburg and the Continental Hockey League in Russia, suiting up for three World Junior tournaments as well. Uh, He's going to be one heck of a guy to watch on a team that uh, I think Noah is not as far from being a playoff contender as most people think even after this season. Yeah, and
0: also a player that many probably won't forget his name in the coming future, a very good hockey player and probably a steal at 10th overall in that draft, but we'll have to see. In our last topic of the week, Canada did beat the United States in the World Championships for the men on Saturday, and some suspensions were handed out in the NHL. Canada did best the U.S. team 4-2 to and will face Finland today on Sunday in the gold medal game as the Finns are coming off their win against Germany. The NHL has also upheld an appeal by Colorado's Nazem Kadri and stayed firm on his eight-game suspension for a high hit against St. Louis in round one of the playoffs. Kadri will now bring his appeal to an arbitrator. Colorado is currently facing Vegas in round number two tonight, who will get forward Ryan Reeves back from a two-game suspension for injuring Avalanche defenseman Ryan Graves. Rounding things off, Winnipeg's Mark Shifley was handed a four-game ban after a charging major on Montreal's Jake Evans led to an injury. Shifley was extremely displeased with the announcement, while Evans is currently out with a concussion. Once again, welcome into episode number 64 of the Huskies Warming House podcast. Again, I'm Noah Grant. The guy sitting to, I believe, my left, if you're looking on the YouTube screen, would be Nick Maxson. Nick, uh, how are you doing this morning? And uh, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier, we're a little bit groggy, but I think we're hanging in there.
1: We're hanging in there. Uh, not too bad. You know, it, it's been a very warm stretch here in the Twin Cities. Uh Again, in typical Minnesota fashion, we don't really get that spring that we wanted, you know, that 50s, that (laughs) 70s. It's that nice, comfortable weather where you kind of, you know, warm yourself up to the heat. Uh, No, we decided just to flip a switch and turn the heat on high. And it's going to be in the triple digits again today as it was yesterday. Uh, But I'm enjoying it. I like the heat. I'd rather um, have the hot than the cold, at least for right now. Um, It's funny how, you know, you're in winter and you you beg for days like this. And now you're kind of sitting there going, hmm. Uh, now we're on the ice we kind of feel nice right about no you can never never be fully yeah. satisfied but you know other than that uh, there's been really some really good uh, Stanley cup playoff action um, that Colorado Vegas series has turned out to be one heck of a series to watch as I think all of us had kind of anticipated but also some really good series on these two that Boston New York Islander series is looking like it's gonna go seven games um, my unfortunate Carolina Hurricanes pick is uh, <laughs> on their last rope against the Tampa Bay Lightning who I think kind of went under the radar with uh, the that they had finished the regular season and are kind of showing, especially with some names back in the fold that they are still a true contender and uh, they might take care of business through the next couple of days.
0: Yeah. I'm just chuckling. I'm just looking at our brackets that we have and they are just, they, they're brutal. Uh, they're in the tubes. I tell you, we've got, let's see, you've got Toronto, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Colorado, uh, not looking good there. No, uh, I had Florida, Toronto, Washington, St. Louis. So heaven forbid I even, you know, <sighs> push my way into the conference final at some point here. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's been very, very interesting. Um, Very interesting. We're going to touch on as well as the Toronto Maple Leafs, like we talked about in the extra ice session, boy, there's some question marks there potentially as well, but yes, some very, very good hockey. Nonetheless that Montreal team, uh, geez, I don't want to say they came out of nowhere, but uh, they definitely came out of left field for for lack of a better term. Um, and so did that heat, like you mentioned, uh, 102 degrees here on Friday here in the good old state of northern North Dakota. Um, I was pretty happy for the first time in 11 years to have an inside job <laughs> in the air conditioning. I was pretty stoked about that. So, But nonetheless, we're hanging in there. We're doing good. I mentioned to you before the show, uh, Formula One, uh, my favorite uh, driver crashed with two laps to go in the grand Prix today. That was tough. His tire exploded, nothing he did. So that's even more unfortunate, but it almost makes you feel like better in a sense too, knowing that it wasn't like a stupid, you know, air. It's just, I mean, what do you do about that? But nonetheless, uh, it is what it is, but, Moving into uh, some more news related to our St. Cloud State Huskies. uh, Let's just touch on quickly on our trivia question since, you know, I've got it here in my notes and uh, yeah, we do that every week. Why not? Right, Nick? Um, I'm curious to see if you know this one, uh, even in the ballpark, I don't know if you got a chance to check this one out, but it was about our guest from last week, Brett Larson, uh, current head coach, of course, of our Huskies entering his fourth season as the Huskies bench boss in his first three seasons. What was the Huskies combined Goal differential
1: hint. It's definitely a positive number. (laughs) So does, I just want to make sure. So you're taking the three seasons combined number. Correct. So if you were, so if you were
0: minus six, minus two and minus three, you would combine those together. Okay. Isn't it plus 17? (laughs) Plus 17 was last year's Nick get this one. The combination plus 74, they were plus 17 last year, minus 14 the year before and a whopping plus 71 in 2018 19 of course uh, we like we mentioned we had brett larson on last week so you can definitely check out uh, his interview with us and his uh, his trivia soiree i found out last week as well i can't do math nick i said he was nine and one he was eight and two we got the got the last question wrong um so there's me again not being able to do math but uh so are, are, you? Are, are you surprised no hardly anybody is <laughs> <laughs> one math i can't do though nick uh, the Denver Pioneers, who is our team here this week that we're covering uh, in our NCHC preview week number three. They were 10, 13, and 1 last year, 19% power play, 84% on the PK. Their goal differential, speaking of those, uh, do you have any idea what their goal differential was last year, Nick? No, but I know it wasn't great, um, which is surprising for this hockey team. You would be surprised. Goal differential for the Pioneers, plus 1. Isn't Still that not great? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you'd like it to be a little bit higher. Interesting though, right? Two point seven nine goals per game, two point seven five goals against. Here's an interesting stat: they finished fifth in the NCHC at thirty-one points. Western Michigan had two more points, but two more games played as well. Their shot differential plus one twenty-four, one of the best in the NCHC. So it's kind of an interesting. Uh, analysis if you will with the Denver Pioneers who kind of just seemed like a meh team didn't really find a way to gain a whole lot of traction last year like we've seen for the Pioneer teams in years past they had a long streak of winning 20 uh, of winning 20 games during a normal season uh, a huge streak um, it, what did you
1: think about this Pioneers club as you watched them in the season evolved I, I think it was surprising um, how much they struggled offensively um, you know when you look at the shot differential, you know, and of course, you know, we can have that conversation about advanced analytics. You know, one thing I noticed about Denver was a lot of shots from not high quality chance areas. Um, Again, quantity over quality. Sometimes does not get the job done now in the playoffs. It might, because you know, all you need sometimes is to have that one slip through. But Denver just really never seemed to me like they really were able to get a sustained and dangerous attack going on offense, and that was something that really surprised me. Um, let's just take one name for example: a sophomore Bobby Brink, who was a guy that was you know highly touted again from uh, Chen in Minnesota. Only two goals last year, and he's a guy that uh, I think spent some time, I believe, in their bottom six, and he was a guy that was supposed to be in that top three type role. And uh, you could probably attribute that to the sophomore slump. And I do think. A a lot of their players struggled last year um, Hard harder to really pinpoint it but i you know I, i'm very curious at how this team is going to look this year because I, I really want to write this off as a fluke for this squad i know matt carl is a heck of a hockey coach um they're getting some good transfers in they're losing some transfers out sure um but i do feel like you know again matt carl to me is a really good hockey coach and i think he's gonna get this guy corrected I should say, uh, I almost do the same thing. It's actually David Carl,
0: Matt Carl. David Carl. Matt. Yeah, yeah geez, Matt, Carl right. of, Matt, Matt Carl, Carl the course. defenseman. Yes, yeah, of David. course played for the pioneers but had a good career with the net Bay lightning philadelphia flyers as well um i, I do the same thing all the time i like is matt carl there no it's david i carl. feel
1: i feel bad sorry david about that but <laughs> no like sir he's one of the better young coaches in college hockey uh, he's a brilliant hockey mind really really good with getting his players to buy it and i think he's going to right the ship this year i know that we have him fifth this year noah only because there's a lot of unknowns with this we, squad but if we we you have know, them sixth actually um, right six. now,
0: which which is to your point I think that you're gonna make it is definitely they're a team that could easily finish third, you know, or second yes. in,
1: in the NCHC, right? Yes. I mean, when you got Bowling Green transfer coming in, um, let me pull up his name here real quick. Um, 100 points already in his career. Uh, Cameron Wright uh, coming over from Bowling Green. Uh, you know, they're injecting some offense. So, again, it tells me that they're aware of uh, what they were lacking and they're addressing it, you know, through a transfer portal acquisition, which is always, uh, always you know, a good way to do it. I know St. Cloud has utilized the transfer portal again very well last year for themselves, more on the defensive front. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, when you can pluck those, you know, one or two players that can. Uh, can fit a nice role for you it's going to be very good for him and i think denver is going to rebound this year um as long as i i think the start's critical for them i think the pod they were struggling i just don't think it they really ever were able to really turn it around and get on the right path and get sustained uh back to the way that they used to play so it'll be interesting but uh again i think i was more surprised uh, again by just where this team fell if anything because i think they're a much better squad on paper than they actually performed
0: yeah just one of those years Cameron right like you mentioned entering uh, his fifth year uh, from Bowling Green here 144 games played 51 goals 50 assists for 101 points had 29 points for a career best last year and has had 20 points at least in every season so far very very impressive uh, for him Um, and and you talk about the coaching staff right I think it's interesting Uh, the the head coach David Carl actually the Richard and Kitsia Goodman head coach as it's referred to out in Denver there in his four season 55 wins over his previous three years, um, and at the time of his hire, was the youngest coach in NCAA Division One hockey at 28. uh An interesting backstory for David Carl as well. Unfortunately, didn't have the career that Matt Carl had. Um, you know, he, he actually served as a student assistant coach with the pioneers after being diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a disease of the muscle of the heart. And he was forced to retire from his playing career. He graduated from the university in 2012, but was selected by Tampa in the seventh round back in 2008. And, you know, he was recruited to play at Denver before, you know, getting his diagnosis as well. So you talk about a guy that's really, um, I would say very understanding of, what it takes to face a little bit of adversity, right? And understanding that last year was a season they weren't looking for. Uh, He knows how to right the ship and the crew that he's got with him, uh, I think is really important to touch on here. Tavis McMillan in his sixth season, uh, as an assistant coach for the pioneers, of course, part of that 2017 national championship, bunch of frozen four appearances and tournament appearances, and served eight seasons as a scout with the Jets before that time. And then Dallas Ferguson, of course, uh coaching Calgary Hitman um and coached the Alaska Nanooks for nine seasons before that as well. Um, and then helped the Pioneers to the NCAA tournament in frozen four in his first season as well. So you look at you look at this coaching staff, uh, you know, they're a group that in contrast to when we touched on Colorado College, you know, You've, get, you've got you've got a coaching staff that's relatively new at CC there versus Denver. They've got guys that have been there, done that. They know how to win. They know how to ride right the ship. They almost remind me a little bit of the St. Cloud State Huskies coming into the season last year, where they've got a great coaching staff behind them. They've got a good mix of youth. They've got a good mix of veteran presence. They've got a couple transfers coming in that could do some damage. A goaltender that can keep them in hockey games and Magnus Corona. It'll be interesting to see if this group uh, you know, starts to I don't want to say text that take that next step, but really starts to find their groove again, if you will. Um, and speaking of Magnus Corona, Nick, um, he was a goaltender. I believe he's entering his junior year this year. Uh, he was a goaltender. What we saw in his freshman year had flashes of brilliance, uh, you know, kind of up and down, if you will. Is he a goaltender that you feel can be the guy for the Denver pioneers and maybe, you know, still has another step to take in his game, if you will.
1: Well, I think any goaltender will tell you that they can take their game to another level. Uh, Magnus Corona, when he's on his game, he's one of the best goaltenders uh, out there in college hockey. Um, unfortunately, well, with a lot of goaltenders, we've seen this again with St. Cloud is sometimes it's the consistency is what, you know, is your probably your biggest earmark on your, uh, on your style of play. And for Magnus Corona, uh, again, when we've seen him uh, the last couple of times, again, calling games in the pod last season, uh, last season, uh, geez, last winter. I, I want to say last winter, but it hasn't even been a, <laughs> a hasn't even been a year yet. You know, it's just, it's yeah. it was so much <laughs> in a six month stretch. You know, it's, it's hard to keep uh, tabs on on the calendar sometimes. But uh, no, he he's good. Uh, the question is going to be, you know, is he going to elevate his game, and more importantly, is the defense in front of him, meaning the forwards and the defensive pairing, are they going to elevate their game to make his job a little bit easier too? I think if there's one thing that often gets missed in goaltending talk is, you know, what's that play? What's that structure in front? of you, you know, and you know, it's it goes back and forth. You know, it's this ballerina dance. You and I both know this, Noah, is you know, a goaltender will play off of the structure in front of him. If he feels comfortable, he's going to play his game. He's going to stay in a screech. He's not going to overplay. If he feels like things are struggling, he might try to do a little bit too much. And I think with Denver, uh, we saw their offensive numbers get you know, only a plus one, a goal differential, but that just means that, you know, they really didn't have a lead. They weren't, you know, maybe close hockey games, but really didn't really have that, you know, feeling of settling down and defending a lead either. So I think uh, Magnus Crona is that guy for them i mean obviously with hockey and anything in sports you know there'll be someone you know trying to take that position away from him uh but but at the end of the day i think he's going to be a very important piece for this uh, team to move forward and take that step back in the top four of the nchc that he's going to have to play uh, very good solid hockey and also the team is going to have to help him out in front of him yeah, they had a good look in the NCHC pod, I thought, um,
0: you know, but like you mentioned, kind of in a little bit of an identity crisis a little bit last year, if you will. And mm-hmm. it, it speaks to the testament of how strong their program has been when we had Brett Larson on. The question was, you know, who is the team that, uh, you know, the Huskies finally beat, quote-unquote, on the road, if you will. Granted, it was the second game in the pod for the first time in forever. It was the Denver Pioneers since 2015. They And, of course, Currently in Denver's arena, they still haven't won since two, the 2015. The Huskies haven't. So they're, you know, the Pioneers are a great, great program. Um, they did lose two defensemen uh to that transfer portal and um one to graduation on top of that, if you will. Um, Griffin Mendel in his grad transfer to Quinnipiac, he had 20 points in his career. And then Slava Demon is a junior moving to Massachusetts, 31 points in 96 games, a fourth round pick to the Vegas Golden Knights. He's a he's a bit of a tough loss in that back end. Losing two forwards as well, Steven Jandrick uh, transferring to Merrimack, only spent one season and had six points with Denver. Um, he was at Anchorage uh, for the three years before that. But the one that really hurts, I think right now, uh, Colin Olichefsky, uh a grad transfer to Providence, uh, 53 points in 134 games for him. I mean, there's a guy that offensively he's going to be sorely, sorely missed. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. There's three forwards and a goaltender in that senior class. Uh, Yakko Heikinen, Jake Driflinger, and Jack Doremus, and of course, Corbin Kaspersky in net that I haven't been able to figure out whether what they're doing in either direction, but those three forwards combined 89 points between the three of them. So, you know, if you could get even one or two more of those bodies back, I think it would be important, um, as they move into that transfer piece, but having a senior alternate captain like Ryan Barrow returning you know 44 points in 127 games for him and then adding that fifth year player in Cameron right what does that one returner and one transfer so far really add to this group uh
1: for Denver to uh kind of get them over the hump again well, Ryan Barrow is a guy that you know he kind of he kind of plays that down you know downfield style he's not the most offensively gifted but he's one heck of a hard worker um, he's the guy that's first in the corners he's the guy that's you know going to give you a body a uh, really good skater good eyes up especially in the offensive zone he's a setup man uh, and you get a guy like uh, like you mentioned that can put the puck in the net uh, that is exactly what uh, Denver needs They need you know they need finishers right now they've had uh, a really good work ethic this season I don't think anybody would question that but again it was it was the finishing touch is what they were sorely missing. I want to go back to Slava Demon because, you, you you know, I think he's going to be a much bigger miss than I think all the other names that you mentioned because Slava Demon, yep, as you mentioned front pick of Vegas, uh, he was one tough customer on the back end for Denver watching him. He was a gritty, very physical defenseman. He made – every single entry in the zone, very, very tough, especially if you're trying to carry the puck. If you even try to do a soft tip behind him, he's not giving you much room. And uh, he took every opportunity to pin your body to the boards and gave you a a physical run per se. So that's going to be a tough loss in the back end for Denver. I think that's gonna be more impactful than the other two. Uh, But, uh, but as you mentioned up front where they, you know, maybe historically we're lacking this year uh, versus uh, maybe previous seasons, you know, any little bit of that's going to help. The question is, can they gel? Uh, Does it work? You know, can you get the right line combinations in and can David Carl get this team, you know, can it get the gears turning, especially in their exhibition games uh, before they get the very tough NCHC conference schedule?
0: Yeah. We'll touch on those impact players. And like you mentioned, a lot of those impact players are those offensive uh, offensively gifted talents and a little bit of more of that youth movement as they move from, you know, from freshman to sophomore sophomore to junior years, if you will. Speaking of that freshman class, Nick, another one that was tough to kind of pin down uh, college hockey news has 10 on this list. I think five are coming, maybe six of them, just looking at statistics and where they are age wise and, you know, where they are league wise here. Um, For sure, as I look here, um, Tristan Lemire from Quebec, uh, 50 games played, 37 points with Dubuque in the USHL. I got to believe that he's on his way over. Um, Carter Mazur from Detroit, uh, 44 points and 47 games played for Tri-City in the USHL. He's going to be a a great, great forward addition for that offense right there as well. Uh, Aiden Thompson on that forward side, 33 points, 52 games for Lincoln as well. And I think they are bringing in a goaltender, if I'm not mistaken. Nick Matthew Davis uh, had 35 games played and some pretty good stats with Green bay in the ush ushl as well i mean you look at a couple of guys in the pipeline seth bernard docker right uh jacob bernard docker of north dakota that's his brother right there um massimo rizzo had 44 points in 42 games in the bc last year as well and a couple of guys kind of uh, working on their growth. Uh, the one that I'm wondering as well, too, on the last one on this list, Jack Devine from Glencoe, Illinois, uh, just turning 18 in October here had 20 points and 30 games played for that U.S. development team, uh, that national team as well, too. Um, but speaking of guys that might make an impact, the, the guy that I really looked at, um, Carter, Missouri, right? You know, only 19 years old, 44 points in 47 games for Tri-City in the USHL, as well as Tristan Lemire, in the ushl as well these guys that spend time in that league you know show that point production even if it's not a point per game you know they're showing that they're grabbing a point in at least you know 70 75 percent of their games what does a league like the ushl show scouts and coaches for the denver pioneers
1: about these players and the products
0: that they're about to to come in especially on the forward
1: side well, when you're know, the USHL uh, is the premier Junior league in the entire country. Uh, it, it's you know, and it's important for players you who, who maybe aren't in those top echelon, you know, I guess early development high school programs. Uh, you know a lot of that is here in Minnesota, right? Uh, you have players that will play through high school and then, you know, they still want to play college hockey, but no, they need some more development. The USHL, if you're trying to make that next step, especially to a high tier NCHC opponent, that's where you need to go. And what it shows is, you know, is this kid not only skill-wise ready, but is he physically ready? I think that's the the other part that often gets missed in, in these scouting uh, type atmospheres is, Um, And I think even Brett Larson touched on that a little bit last week as well, because, you know, there's the skill development piece. And there's also, you know, is this person's growing into the, you know, into the frame, into their body. Uh, And so those two, maybe three years, depending on how well and and how much you use it are very critical for these players. And, you know, they have to take advantage of the opportunity. And and for the college scouts, you know, you get to see that, as you mentioned progression, right. From first year, second year, maybe third year. And that's what you want to see is where is that line curve going? And, uh, you know, it, it, it puts you in a spot where you know as a college recruiter do i want to you know is this a guy i want to take a chance on i see the skill i see the raw skill maybe i see uh, maybe some work that needs to be done with some upper body strength uh, but he's got a good projection he works hard and uh, we'll take a chance on this kid so it, it's all encompassing but it's all about you know where that person is versus where they were and the usl again a very good developmental program and that's what the usl has to offer for college hockey yeah
0: it'll be interesting to see what class they bring in as well uh, again we don't know what those four seniors are going to be doing so who knows they might be bringing in all 10 guys and saying you know what we're going to develop you know these guys that maybe didn't have the point of production they were looking for who knows nonetheless they've got uh listed beyond that eight prospects in the pipeline for 2022 and then three for the following year as well as we look at their schedule here nick uh arizona state air force providence bc on the docket for their non-conference schedule that's a pretty hefty hefty Uh, non-conference schedule and very interesting that with Providence you actually have a former Pioneer that's transferring (laughs) that'll be in that lineup that's uh, hashtag awkward if you will Um, but nonetheless wishing all these players of course the best of luck except against the Huskies coming up in the upcoming season then you got North Dakota, Western, Miami, Arizona State again uh, on the docket for the Pioneers Arizona kind of making the run I would say through a lot of these NCHC teams they had the Big Ten last year so maybe looking for a different look uh, at one of the best conferences in the NCHC will We'll circle back to that in a second Uh, Duluth and then Fairbanks uh, makes a visit. Of course, that uh, Nanooks connection, uh, if you will, Uh, Omaha, St. Cloud is on the docket. Of course, Colorado college, Miami, uh, Duluth, Western Omaha, and CC again, to round out that schedule, the Huskies only visiting once uh, to the Denver pioneers in the upcoming season, but Arizona state on a quick little side tangent, how do you think they might fare against the Denver pioneers and the rest of the NCHC crew this year?
1: You know, if one thing about Arizona State is, you know, they, like you mentioned, they spent a lot of time in the Big Ten last year. Um, I think, you know, we can have the debate, which is the better conference than CTV versus Big Ten. There's still college hockey programs, or right? There's still some pretty good hockey to be played there. And at the end of it, you know, when you're playing – Uh, you know, this kind of statured hockey that, you know, Big Ten and the NCHC offers, which is good hockey, um, you're going to learn something from that as a player, as a coaching staff, and to where this needs to go. Arizona State, again, is an independent, uh, looking for a permanent home, I believe. Um, I know that they have partnered uh, a little bit with the Big Ten the last couple of years, but again, um, the NCHC, when you look at this conference's history, right, was it four of the last six national champions, Uh, Again, you're you know basically in the running uh, as a runner-up for the Huskies last year, so you're in the national championship game. Uh, This is the conference everybody around college hockey puts their eye on. Says this is the penultimate conference, and this is if we're going to go in and play good hockey against these good squads. You know this is kind of your measuring stick as to where you want to be, uh, also where you are, and and what can you improve. And so uh, I think they will fare well. I mean, this is a team that was has been ranked in the past, including last year for a little bit. Um, I think consistency was an issue for them last year as well but uh, Arizona State they get some pretty good recruits they're attracting a lot of good young players especially here from the Midwest uh Minnesota especially and you know granted know what this you know it's kind of funny you know when Arizona to me was the the program that first started I I I will admit I kind of chuckled uh but you know looking at the, the program they're starting to develop something pretty pretty good down there um and if I was you know was at 17, 18 years old and Arizona state calls me and uh, I could play hockey in the warmth of the sun and not to deal with the the snow at the same time, that might be an attractive offer for me to go down and, uh, you know, play some hockey down there, the good old sun state. So um, this is an up and coming program. Um, I think it will be important for them at some point to find an affiliation for them so they can get that, you know, what that conference can offer you. Again, it's, it's the coaching. It's, it's that, you know, as Brett Larson said, it's, it's that community where, you know, the coaches have to take pointers and drill some. Each other, and it's all that other good jazz, and so they'll be fine. Um, uh, but again, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how Denver plays well with us, you know, twice. Uh, and I think Arizona State has a lot to offer. And I think they're going to surprise the Denver Pioneers and just how good their program has become the last four or five years.
0: Yeah, ASU is a is a group that their facilities, you know, and, and of course their success with other sports as well, kind of kind of paid dividends early on for that program. And now they've really started to build. Of course, they were on the road for every game last year in the Big Ten and ran into a, a huge injury bug on top of that as well um, and still put a very, very good effort together. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they end up. Uh, again, there's that track expense for the other teams too that's the biggest challenge i think for arizona just the distance but their play and their style of play i think is going to give this pioneers team a run for their money but the pioneers have a couple of players that they can rely on to push back if you will i have four impact players on my on my list nick um are are there a a couple of guys first i want to get your opinion before i go to mine are there a couple of guys for you that you feel are kind of the guys that uh you know maybe denver is looking for i know you mentioned bobby brink he's on my list
1: is he one of those guys that you feel needs to have a bounce back year if you will well, if you talk to Bobby too, and I've talked to him a couple of times you know, away from the ice ring, he's a good kid and he, he's a competitor, um, you know, damn well, he's looking uh, to bounce back this next season and, and certainly for the Denver pioneers, you know, he's going to have to bounce back, you know, only two goals, nine assists and 11 points last year. Uh, definitely not, uh, you know, what I know Bobby brings the to of him. That's definitely not what Denver would want from him, but I know he's very much capable of producing a lot more. And again, just, you know, if funny's you know, hockey is a funny game sometimes, Noah, and I, I just think that you know we we give that sophomore slump, you know, uh, kind of you know that. Stank guy per se, but I, I do think you know there's a lot to be said about you know a, a young player and how they respond to this adversity. So this will be an important year for Bobby Briggs, especially his personal development uh, coming into. But for me, Carter Savoy is one of those guys. Again, came out as a rookie and oh, can this kid shoot the puck. Uh, 13 goals in his rookie campaign. Seven, it says 20 points. Uh, this kid, uh, whenever the puck was on his stick, you know you, you kind of almost you know you have to kind of almost bite your fingernails a little bit. He's just that dangerous with the puck. So he to me is an impact. Player going into his sophomore season so trying to avoid maybe that a little of that sophomore something that Bobby Brink had uh experiences last year uh, and so he's going to be to me a, a necessary impact player hopefully he can avoid that turndown and continue to have that production sophomore in his freshman campaign which I think he will do yeah. Great hair too. I might add, um,
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely go check out, check out his picture uh, with Bobby Brink as well. Also it's interesting. 11 points, only 15 games played for him as well, though. So you're hoping maybe a little bit more growth was starting to happen as well. The other two I have on this list, a guy that I, I love the way this guy plays He's going to be a senior this year. That's Cole Gutman led the team in points and assist uh, 23 games, eight goals, 14 apples for 22 points for the pioneers. He's a guy. And not just because he led the team in points. He's a guy that I remember when he came into the Herb Brooks national hockey center, when they split right with that um essentially um a contrast of two different nights with the lopsided wins i believe 5-1 for the huskies in night number one and a 5-2 loss for the huskies in night number two and he was a guy that it just seemed every time he was on the ice, he was defensively responsible. You know, he was a guy that was able to, to win faceoffs when he was taking them. He, he just seemed like he was a good 200 foot player. And when you add that 200 foot game, in addition to the ability to put the puck in the net or set teammates up, I think that just speaks volumes about a guy that has that veteran presence, has that point production, understands how to play on both ends of the ice. And he's just a complete, complete player that I think about A uh, guys that, You talk about um, Bobby Brink, right? When he was in the bottom six, right? And you hope he's going to be in the top three. Cole Gutman's a guy that's a top six slash top three guy and going to be a fixture there. I mean, there's no question about it. Just, you know, even if he's not producing the way he's looking, you know, to produce, he's a guy that plays so, so well at both ends of the ice. I've really been impressed with his game every time I watch the Denver Pioneers on the ice uh, or on the television. The other player that I had as well, kind of fitting in with that sophomore class as well, that's forward Mike Benning, who had 11 points as well. Three goals, eight assists. 21 games for him i look at him as being kind of a player similar to maybe yami cranola of the huskies i know we go back to yami quite a bit but a guy who's looking to take that next step in his sophomore season and continue to uh grow and develop and can be that impact player very very quickly for denver i think he's got the capability i think he sat either fourth or fifth on the team in points uh at the end of last season and he's just a guy that i feel like is that uh, kind of on the edge, if you will, uh, and can ma- be a real big difference maker for the Denver Pioneers. Uh, only about five minutes left in our coverage for the Pioneers here. Nick, uh, what are your thoughts here moving forward into the upcoming season? What does the Denver Pioneers style play have to be uh, for them to have success? And then, of course, as always, St. Cloud State, only two games this year against the Pioneers. Uh, what do the Huskies have to do to shut down the piles?
1: Uh, at least historically, they've been, they've been a very good cycle team. Um, and, and, you know, at, at times, you know, we saw it this year and the, the problem was uh, for them this year was getting out of the cycle and, and setting up high quality dangerous chances. A lot of the times defensively teams are very good at keeping them to the outside. So they were resorting to those shots from the wall, shots from the point, uh, shots were getting blocked. And so, you know, they have to continue that. Now, again, we're going to talk about how it, with the uh, an NHL team here in the extra ice how you know, there's some disappointment there, but you can't overcorrect either um and i think you know for denver there's there's a lot of good things that are happening uh, but it's that maybe that five to ten percent addition that they have to do that's really going to put them in a much better position and so for me it's going to be just you know they do so well. So don't abandon that. But now it's how do you figure out maybe some different ways to get guys into the slot? How do you get some more high-quality chance, uh, danger chances? They have guys, we mentioned names already with Carter Savoy and Bobby Brink and others that can and have historically put a puck in the neck. they got a grant Church coming in that's got 100 points on his career already. So they've got the tools now. How can they put the system in place to get them in the best spots? And again, it's going to be their play away from the puck um, that's going to be uh, uh, most important. For, for St. Cloud, I think, again, their defensive core is one of the best in the entire NCHC uh, in terms of positioning, in terms of, you know, making sure that you're between uh, the opposing forward and the goaltender. So just boxing out, you know, again, making sure that you're taking the player, don't take up space. Uh, and again, just continue to keep them to the outside. Again, if you can just leave with your stick, maybe force that puck up the wall and just ha- just continue on to cycle the puck, let them carry it around. Uh, and as long as they getting into the interior part of the ice, that's how you defend them. And then of course, with St. Cloud, once you get that possession, it's those quick transition plays, getting up ice with speed as a group uh, and then trying to use that again that fork check that the Huskies are so well known for to generate their offense uh, both either on their rush or getting up their cycle game on the opposite side of the puck too and you know again with Denver um, you can make them defend um, it's going to be a good night for any team that goes against them yeah I, I like those answers um, I
0: When I think about St. Cloud State's game plan against the Pioneers, and granted, they played them in game number two of the pod, was supposed to be game number three for the Huskies, but of course, CC had had, had their things going on as well. Um, Denver was a team that the Huskies really didn't get a whole lot of a look at uh, this past season uh, as well. I mean, we really got to see them in the NCHC playoffs really, you know, push, I believe, was it North Dakota to that overtime game uh, as well, but you know, it, they were that team that was kind of in the in the other half of the conference and the other division, if you will. And really, the Huskies didn't get a chance to watch them for the first time in quite a while. Um, So I think if you're St. Cloud State, um, one of the things that has historically made Denver so good is they're one of those teams that has the ability to get into a track meet and outrace you. And I think if you're St. Cloud as much as you want to play with your speed and your skill, I think it's all about slowing the pace down a little bit against this Denver team as well, because what do, you know, good hockey players and guys who can put the puck in the net want, they want that time and space. They want that speed, the ability to burn by defenders. I think if you're St. cloud, it's gotta be more of a controlled effort against the pioneers. It sounds weird. You know, if you, if you're a team that's able to, you know, kind of have your, your foot on the throat, if you will, of the pioneers and the Huskies definitely go for it. But I also think that, you know, the running gun style sometimes maybe is advantageous to a team like Denver and the Huskies have to be aware of that. On the other side for Denver, um, my key for them, uh, it's kind of an odd one. It's not really so much style of play. Uh, it's kind of a hand-in-hand relationship, if you will. Number one, I think they just got to relax. I think they just got to take a deep breath and say, you know what? If we're not scoring earlier, it's not going the way that you know we're hoping. Just relax. We're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Don't grip the sticks too tight. But the other piece that goes along with that, I think they just need to get a couple of wins early out of the gate, like you mentioned, that start, and have a little bit of confidence for their goal scorers, just to get back to form and feel like, you know what? All right, we've wiped the twenty twenty. 21 slate you know off it's gone we're in here to a new season we're ready to rock and roll we're going to make our climb back up the nchc standings and again you and i have them pegged you know in that fifth sixth spot something like that uh they're a team that easily could be in that top four and safely in that top four if they get back to form again this is a group that we talked about miami and the red Hawks. Right. And we talked about how they could be kind of the, the silent dark horse of the NCHC. This is the the loud dark horse of the NCHC, if you will, for the Denver pioneers. Uh, I think if they return to form, they're going to be a handful for any team that gets them on any given night. Um, so yeah, it should be interesting to watch. Uh, we wish, of course, the Denver pioneers, the best of luck against every team,
1: except the St. Cloud state Huskies. Nick, do you have anything else to add uh, for the pioneers here? Uh, No, again, I I think we're going to uh, see a quick turnaround for the pioneers this year. At least that's my prediction. Um, Again, if they have that good start, like you mentioned, uh, we could be seeing them a top four, if not maybe top three. Um, they're a squad that I think, you know, it, it, I think it's it's safe to say that, that they underperformed last year. I think it is safe to say that. Um, and if they do get back to form, this is going to be a very dangerous team to watch. Again, great coaching staff, great players and with the guys coming in to replace some of those that are leaving. I think they've got a good mix to try to get uh, to try to fix what they were lacking uh, last season.
0: Yeah, they're certainly looking to prove that last season was an anomaly, but teams that uh... – Uh, The last couple seasons have been a lot of anomalies and a question mark of anomalies. That's the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, we're going to touch on them next and their uh, collapse, if you will, against the Montreal Canadiens. So, stay tuned for our extra ice session. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Uh, Nick, uh, excited to, of course, get to our next NCHG preview as well for fans who are uh, curious who we have next week. It's actually Omaha who's on the docket for us. Of course, we'll let you know that before the end of the show. A couple of guests we've got coming on this week as well that you won't want to miss, but uh, someone who will not be coming on to the second round of the playoffs and beyond this year, that's the Toronto Maple Leafs who ran into Carey Price and the Montreal Canadiens uh, and didn't really run into them into about game five or six or so. And uh, (laughs) the Canadiens have... Not look back since uh winning, I believe it's five straight now, looking for their sixth against Winnipeg here tonight. Yeah. See, I can count one, two, three, four, five.
1: Um, but as long as on one hand, you're good.
0: But there's there's five guys that we can also count on for the Toronto Maple Leafs that are kind of their core group that's going to be around for the next three years as well. I don't think Austin Matthews is going anywhere, but other than that, I would say everybody's a question mark for this Toronto Maple Leafs group. The question is, uh what does Toronto do next? And let's rewind the clock back before we even hit there. What happened to Toronto in general after having a stranglehold 3-1 series lead against the lesser Montreal Canadiens? And when I say lesser, yes, they were the worst. They they were not you know, to the same caliber as the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's just be real.
1: Well, a couple of things. So uh, first of all, I want to make one comment. I don't think everybody else on this roster is a question mark. Um, I don't think... Tavares is going anywhere. Mitch Marner is not going anywhere and neither is William Nylander. Those guys are not going anywhere, but beyond that, you have some question marks. Morgan Riley, uh, to me is a guy that could be maybe a question mark for him, even though that he's one of the better defensemen. Uh, Jake Musson is not going anywhere, but I digress. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, what happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, what happened was they beat themselves. Um, honestly, uh, carry price, no disrespect to carry price because he's one hell of a goaltender. Uh, but the Toronto Maple Leafs did not, in my estimation, continue to do what they did in the first four games to really get at him. Um, and losing John Tavares also in that series definitely hurt them quite a bit, especially down the middle. Uh, but in, I guess, the, you know, the playoffs, injuries happen. You have to be able to overcome them. And for, for Toronto, I think what makes this one sting a little bit is you're up three games to one. You know, you you had three chances to take out the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Montreal, being a very pesky, being the never-go-away type, uh, you know, team, <clears throat> just decided, hey, we maybe weren't expected to beat Toronto, but what's we got house money now. Let's just go out, play hard. And, you know, if we go out, we go out. That's okay. Um, but uh, holy heck, they ended up uh, taking the series uh, against, uh, against Toronto. And uh, at the end of it, uh, Toronto didn't get the timely saves that needed. And if you could see it in game seven when uh, when Brian uh, Gallagher scored that opening goal, that first goal in game seven, you could see the grips on the sticks with a Toronto Maple Leafs players. They could have easily turned the sticks to sawdust. Um, the pressure was all right there. And you can see this team was not playing like you mentioned with that killer instinct which has been a big talk especially around Canadian meter right now they look like they're a team that was like crap here we go again I don't want to lose this hockey game and they just didn't seem like uh you know they were uh, I guess right up to the challenge of that adversity they just kind of looked like that they just kind of accepted their fate or were scared that oh no here we go again now, there's a lot of pressure on this hockey squad and I I get it that's a heavy heavy hockey market in Toronto Um, ask Phil Kessel he'll tell you all about it Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, but at the end of it you know I think what's important for this Maple Leaf squad and for fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs is you are closer than what you think you are and you can be mad at Kyle Dubas which is funny because you were praising the sort of mid-season acquisitions that you did give it to him and now you're pissed off at him for those same acquisitions you can't have it both ways um i do think there are some questions as far as to how this team is constructed i think that's gonna be the bigger question mark um but it mostly internally most of this roster isn't going anywhere just because a you don't have the money or the space to do much with this roster um so you talk about this last year being important i think this is this next upcoming year is going to be either, it's going to be boom or bust for this Toronto Maple Leafs squad. And at the end of it, you can't overreact as easy as it might do so. Um, just because of what you think you saw, there is the, the lack of a killer instinct, which maybe there's some truth to that. Uh, but, but at the end of it, I think you, you can also send the wrong message that, you know, this was a very good hockey squad during the regular season, but are they a playoff contender? Uh, obviously they're not right now. Uh, but I think you can't overdo it either. So I'm, I'm curious though as to what you saw with Toronto uh, against the Montreal Canadians. Again, you got to give credit to to the Habs again, for putting up a fight, uh, taking them all the way into seven and taking uh, the series away from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So you got to give congrats. And again, as you mentioned earlier, uh, they've won five straight. Now they're up two to nothing over the jets looking to go up three, nothing uh, tonight in their series uh, for the second round. But I kind of want to get your take on. Okay. First of all, what'd you see with Toronto and, First of all, hug and second, of all, hug we fix it.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I think Toronto can definitely give the Pittsburgh Penguins a call and see what it's like to uh, have a golf outing together after being ousted by the Canadians who weren't supposed to win anything, apparently. Um, but yeah, I, it also hurt, I think for them losing Jake Muzzin in game number six, that one was tough. Um, but as we talked about with the Minnesota wild series in Vegas, right? That game number five, yes, it's an elimination game, but it's so important for the team that's down three to one to, you know, kind of feel like they have momentum and put a little bit of pressure back the other direction. You talk about that game five, that game went to overtime, right? It could have been done you know, just like that. And and you look at, you look at obviously where it ended up. And I think that's the frustration and I can understand that from Toronto fans, right? You're that close to finally vindicating all these demons since, you know, 2004, if you will. Uh, And finally punching your ticket to the second round, you were supposed to be able to do it in a conference that was listed as not that strong, you know, And, and you were supposed to be the team that was kind of the golden child for the first time in a long time to push their way into a conference final. And they couldn't even get out of the first round. Um, yeah. Like you talked about just a lack of urgency. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, you don't want to play not to lose. You want to play to win because those are two different things, right? You know, if, you, if you're playing not to lose, you're not aggressive. You're not on the attack. Um, what do they do about it? It's interesting to me um, it, and I've thought about this uh, as I've read more and more about it. Cause at first I was with you, I was like, there's no way in heck that this happens. And with the flat cap, I still don't think it happens. I still don't think there's a team that can match this package. I think if you're Kyle Dubas, I think you dangle Mitch Marner out there. I really do. And the reason being, yes, he makes almost $11 million. Nicky, he hasn't scored a goal in 18 playoff games. You know what I mean? He's not a guy that's going to be like Austin Matthews is a heavier body, a guy that finds a way to create time and space, a guy that during the playoffs, yeah, he's not going to be, you know, running guys like Tom Wilson or Ryan Reeves, but he's a guy that's able to compete a little bit. When I look at Mitch Marner and yeah, it'd be a huge loss for the Maple Leafs, especially in the regular season. What he does for that club is so, so monumental. And I'm not saying – move Mitch Marner for the sake of moving Mitch Marner. I just think when you when you factor in your three big guys, right? Your Austin Matthews, your John Tavares or Mitch Marner in terms of contract size, right? You're not going to give away Tavares just because of the age factor on top of the the salary uh, on top of that. It's just going to be too difficult to offload. But I think if you have a young guy like Mitch Marner who still has a lot of upside, you know, is a little bit young and has a little bit of psychological growth to do, I'm not saying you move him because it's going to be monumentally difficult. I'm saying you throw him out there and see if the return warrants enough to plug some of the holes that the Toronto Maple Leafs have right now. Can you shore up a little bit of your defense? Can you find, you know, maybe a goaltending prospect or a goaltender 1A, 1B tandem? And can you find a forward that, is going to quote unquote replace Mitch Marner, but not be Mitch Marner, but add one or two forwards that are NHL ready that are going to develop and continue to be a factor, uh, you know, for the Toronto Maple Leafs with the loss of Marner. I know Marner said his point production has been astronomical. I know it sounds insane, but I think if you're Kyle Dubas, I think you at least entertain the talks because at worst, nothing's going to happen and i especially with the flat cap and the amount of money that marner makes it's going to be difficult for the maple leafs to move him. but i think there's some interesting possibilities if you look at him because they don't want to give up a guy like william nylander who two years ago was supposed to be on the chopping block and then some he's really been a force to be reckoned with for the maple leafs i think you look at one of those big dogs Austin matthews isn't going anywhere john tavares is too old i think mitch marner is the piece that you at least put out there if you're kyle dubas and see does the return actually make sense? And I think that's your one big move. Other than that, I think you try to fill in your bottom six, your bottom pairings. You know, you take a look at what's offered. I don't know if you give away Morgan Riley, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, he's probably, him and Jake Muzzin are probably the only two solid defensemen in that core right now. Um, yeah, could you could you put one of those two on as well and, and maybe look at that package? Sure. But I, I honestly think that Mitch Marner is at least worth a look for the Toronto Maple Leafs to see if there is somehow, uh, an astronomical package that does make sense for this Maple Leafs group. But other than that, I, uh, it's got to come internally and it's got to become, you know, from, uh, the head coach O'Keefe and see what can we do mentally,
1: uh, to be a better hockey team. <laughs> I disagree with you. 100%. Yeah. I saw that one coming. <laughs> yeah. And here's why. So uh, for Mitch Mutter, yeah, he hasn't scored a goal, but to me, he's not, pegged to me as a goal scorer i know he was a goal scorer in london in the old ontario hockey league but you've got to remember mitch mutter not the biggest kid he's more of a setup guy to me but let's take a look at some stats since you brought it up uh william Niel- Nylander was their leader in playoff goals with five he had eight points overall uh jason spezza had three jake Musson had a couple a bunch of players at one uh notice how i didn't say austin matthews austin matthews had one goal in seven games four what, assists for five points and what about it Austin Matthews is the guy who detracts with the puck, though.
0: Mitch Marner is here's, not not a guy
1: to me that your argument. Your argument was he has scored a score to playoff goal. Here's here here here's what I'm saying. So w- between William Nylander, who was basically in that top three, you know, Marner and uh, Matthews there for, you know, a little bit, the last couple of seasons was kind of on that second line role. Let's take a look at that first line, Matthews uh, and Marner, again, one goal between the two of them. And again, how many power play opportunities did we see uh, with these guys as well? So at at, at the end of it, you know, their power play was astronomically abysmal uh, during the playoffs as well. I think what, I think what has to happen here is first of all, with the flat cap, Martin ain't going anywhere. There's no one that can afford to take on 10 and a half million without giving up salary. Uh, and for a teams right now that are struggling to even get to the roster cap um, with, you know, with the flat cap, how are you going to give up two players to take out one? So to me, he's not going anywhere. I think some of the bigger question marks that Toronto has is first of all, Zach Hyman, Zach Hyman's guy to me is kind of that sandpaper guy that I think mm-hmm. plays really, really well with some of their top six forwards. Uh, if they can get him on a team friendly deal, he was on a uh, two, two, and a quarter million dollar a year uh, cap hit this last season. I think he wants to return. But the question is, will there be any money left over? Again, I think they have uh, their biggest need is not only in goal, but also on defense. But let's go through some of the guys that uh, do not have a contract. Riley Nash at 32, uh, 2.75 million. He's not coming back pure rental for me. Uh, Wayne Simmons is a guy to me that I, I think it's a, a good question to ask. And I'm going to throw this out to you, Noah. Did Wayne Simmons actually provide what the Maple is really looking for this season. And I would argue that that's an interesting response that you might have coming for me.
0: Uh, can I can, can I say Meh? is that, is that, is that a fair no, answer? Right.
1: right. And you that's, know? and I think that, and I think that goes to speak, you know, they wanted that guy that can get in, kind of mix things up, you know, kind of have <laughs> that playoff presence. And I, I just didn't see that from Wayne Simmons, not only regular season, but definitely in the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think
0: that's a fair assessment. Um, you know, and that's going back to my point. I'm not saying, I'm not saying like throw, throw the cards away. Mitch Marner's gone. See you later. You know, that sort of thing. My, my question is this, when you're talking about guys like Joe Thornton, right. who's almost 42 years old. You're talking about guys like Wayne Simmons, you know, that are kind of in that bottom six Toronto for how much money they spend on their high end talent, they are not a deep hockey team. Like, like don't make that mistakes. Their bottom six is not that great. Their defensive core is not that great. They have to rely on a lot in their goaltending, which then they love to crucify their goaltenders when they can't buy a save when they're getting, you know, outshot or the the game is eight to seven because they're playing a run and gun style. You know, my, my thought is this, you know, first of all, let me ask you this. Yeah. You talk about Austin Matthews, you know, not scoring in the playoffs this year. Between Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, who are you taking? Like, if you're building, if you're building a franchise,
1: do you take Austin Matthews? Or do you take Mitch Marner? Be honest with me. So the the answer is obvious. You're taking the center number one because it's hard to find that center depth. Uh, and I like the shot of Ma- Austin Matthews as far as a goal scorer, but to me, the, the there's both some defensive liabilities also with Austin Matthews. And yeah. So okay, but
0: but 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 at its base, though, you're taking Austin Matthews over Mitch Marner, anybody. is. He's just, uh, he just got that extra offensive gear that Mitch Marner doesn't have. Now Mitch Marner is a hell of a hockey player. Like do not get me wrong. There's a reason why I'm saying you at least put your feelers out there to see if there's anything that's possible because I think, yes, it would suck to lose Mitch Marner, but I think he's a guy that if you find somehow the right trade partner, you can fill one or two forward spots or one or two defensive spots and a forward spot. You can fill three or four spots with one guy that gets you closer to that spot. Are you going to lose a little bit of high end production? Yes. But Mitch Marner is only one guy. And when I look at Mitch Marner in the playoffs versus Austin Matthews, when I talk when you talk about a guy like Zach Hyman, that grit, that sandpaper finish, Austin Matthews is a bigger, heavier guy. Like Austin Matthews, to me is a guy that I feel like can go in the corner and at least, you know, kind of engage and get the job done. Like you mentioned, Marner's a playmaker. That's his game. That's his style. Yes. You pair him with the right guys. Sure. That's all right. But we've seen it so often in playoff hockey where guys like that have success in the regular season. And when it comes playoff time, they can't match the physicality or can't find that time and space using their own body and their own frame. Again, not detracting from Mitch Marner. He's a fantastic hockey player, but that's why I'm putting him out there because of his age um, really, if Mitch Marner making $6 million a year, we're not having this conversation. You're definitely hanging on to him. It's just the fact that Toronto is so tight up against the cap and they've gone through this cycle so long of essentially paying their high-end guys, which is fine. They produce, they do their job for the most part but then their bottom six and their bottom four defensive pairing really, really suffers. And when it comes to playoff time, they don't have the depth to make it happen. So that's why I'm at least saying, I think it's worth entertaining the idea of saying, here's a young guy that makes a lot of money that out of the three big guys that make money, I think teams are most inclined to at least think about, you know, obviously, cause Austin Matthews isn't going anywhere. So, yeah. Well, not them
1: are. And And so, first of all, <laughs> so no. So, the reason why I say that it's not what I would do um, again, you're, you're talking from a standpoint of, you know, I, I guess, just looking at it from a clean slate, you have to remember Kyle Dubas uh, is the one who constructed this team. And he's been very clear that nobody's going anywhere. Uh, not only that, <clears throat> but I think it's also easy to say is that, okay, we have an expansion draft coming up, right? So who would they, and so, you know, he's going to protect all four of those guys, right? Neilander, Marner, uh, Austin and Taveras um, at the end of it. Um, I think what it, what it comes down to is so if, if, if I'm Kyle Dubas and you know, those four aren't going anywhere. I get, I'm going to stick to my guns on that. Here's what you got. You have Ilya Mikhailov um, again, 26 years old, 1.645 million. I think he's a good solid bottom six. But again, does he have that skill that Tana maybe, maybe not? Uh, I don't think uh, Wayne Simmons returns. Nick Foligno not coming back. Uh, Pierre Engel is a pure fourth liner. Uh, you know, can pot a goal or the here or there, uh, but uh, to me, he's nothing special. Galax Gelchenyak, I think, actually, thought played at, at times okay with Toronto. Uh, he's kind of a question mark for me. Um, Jason Spezza, I do think he comes back on a league minimum deal. Uh, Jor Thornton, I actually do think he finally retires. Let's go to the defensive core. Zach Bogosian to me, uh, as as. No disrespect to Zach Bogosian, but I don't think he's he's a guy that they can keep moving forward. I just don't think he's got the speed enough. Ben Hutton, uh, to me, at 28 years old, $950,000, uh, maybe he's back. Uh, Travis Derman, I thought, played all right. Again, he's he's new. And then Martin Marincin, uh, again, at twenty nine, uh, $700,000 league minimum. Um, I just, I don't know. You're hearing a lot of this, though, league minimums. And the league minimums is when you go back to that depth problem, you have so much high you have to balance it with so much low. Um, is it a coaching issue? Is, is, should this go to Sheldon Keefe or maybe you have to start splitting up Matthews, Marner, Taveras, uh, and Nielan or some of these guys to maybe spread out that wealth on offense? Maybe it's a coaching thing. Um, Freddie Anderson, again, I, I think net. When you are the starting goaltender for four or five years and put up as the backup against uh, behind Jack Campbell, uh, at 31, I think Freddie Anderson will test the free agency market. I don't think he returns to uh, uh, the to Toronto Maple Leafs. But they have some guys coming up. Uh, I think one name I was surprised that didn't get called up this year, I uh, know it was Nick Robertson. Yeah. Uh, you know, only 19 years of age. Uh, but he's a guy that I think shows that he is, you know, very capable forward. He will definitely be with the big club next year, um, at least in my opinion. And then the big question mark defensively, how about Timothy Willigren? Uh, again, 22 years old, you know, a first-round first, a first round pick. Uh, I think he's a guy that, you know, is going to have a shot to make the team. And so I think Toronto's going to be looking for with them. And when you talk about trying to shed cap, you know, I know a lot of people bring up Seattle. Seattle in the expansion draft, and we can go into this, but I'll keep it as short as I can. Seattle and Vegas are in in two completely different environments. Seattle does not do any phone calls right now. If anything, I would expect Seattle to take a league minimum salary cap, have all this cap space and say, Hey, Toronto, if you're looking to make some moves, I got some cap space. Would you be willing to make a trade? If, If I'm Seattle, that's how I play the expansion draft. You get you know, you, you, play your cards, right. You get 30 to 30, maybe, tw- sorry, 20 to $30 million in cap space. Then you go up to teams and say, Hey, you need some help. Well, I got some help for you. If you need to offload some money uh, I know Nashville might be calling for that. Maybe New Jersey might be calling for that. So um, at the end of it, maybe Toronto, maybe makes a trade with them. Uh, but again, I just don't see Kyle Dubas making any moves. Uh, so uh, give her, which brings us back to how do you fix this? I think this team, uh, first of all, those bottom six guys, uh, are we really looking at Joe Thornton as as a guy that matches style of play with the other you know the top six? I don't think so. Um, I think this team needs to get younger in the bottom six. I think they need to get faster, and I also think they need to get some some better t- two way on the back end. Justin Hall, uh, two million dollars the next couple of seasons. Uh, to me, he's uh, you know he, he's kind of the uh, the scapegoat defensively. I know that uh, uh, what's his face. Uh, uh, who was on the back end there for a while? Oh, was taking a lot of heat. Yeah, uh, you're with, talking with, about uh, it was a oh Dyna kid. What, what I I, I say? Why
0: can't I think of his name? I, I could see his face. I can ser- see him serving up pizzas in the slot in Game Seven. Yeah, I uh, mean um, he, he went to Carolina. I can't think of his name. Oh my gosh! I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I'll you know, look it gonna, up. Gonna, yeah, yeah, it's the, the, the one the one thing. I, and I know you're talking about depth, and that's where again I'm not saying you move Mitch Marner, but I'm just saying if you find. A six million dollar forward and two three million dollar defensemen that that shore that keep you somewhere offensively and shore up those defensive thoughts. Is it worth a discussion? Is it worth, you know? And that's where it's like if you if if you can move one guy to fill fill three or four slots. The problem though,
1: you're missing the other side of the coin, and this is this is where NHL Nick puts the hammer down. If you are Florida. Who thinks they need another elite forward? Are you gonna are you gonna take on a nearly eleven million dollar cap hit for a guy that did not score a single playoff goal oh, and only we're... had four assists? And <laughs> now we're doing this. <laughs> So, no, but you but you think that's that's why he doesn't get moved. His cap hits, one thing, but also think about what that cap hit is relates to how much he costs per points and all that other good jazz, right? If I'm any team and looking, yeah, regular season, he's been great. Playoffs, where it really matters and where Florida's really trying to make a push and just using Florida as an example, is $11 million for four points over seven games and zero goals. Is that the kind of contract, you know, cost, if you want to call it, to take on? The answer is no right now. Yeah, and, 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 and Nick, I'm not disagreeing with you. Also, it was Jake Gardner that we were thinking of, but
0: um, yes. uh, <laughs> it, I don't disagree with you. Like if I'm on the other side of it, I mean, it would have to be like a team like Arizona or New Jersey, who's really hurting for an offensive jump and has the cap space or can can create the cap space. I'm just saying when you look at, for example, the Minnesota wild you've got Kirill Capriza you've got Kevin Fiala you've got Joel Erickson maybe you know throw Matt Zuccarello Marcus Foligno as the fourth guy in there you know your offense doesn't have to come from one guy who's scoring 90 points a year if you can divvy it out with guys who are 200 foot players and responsible again is that contract almost impossible to offload yes but I think that Toronto fans might entertain the, the ability to maybe have a less high-octane, but more balanced and two-way responsible team by at least entertaining that idea. And if it were me, I'd love to move that Tavares contract if it were the three of them but Tavares is too old and no one in heck is going to
1: take that with Mitch Marner. At least he's young. You know, I would, I would not move Tavares because again, you know, winning Stanley cups, you need depth down the middle. And when you have a one a and Matthews and a one B in Tavares, I, 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 at least for me, I don't move Tavares Yeah, He's expensive 11 million, but I think he gives you exactly what you need. And yeah, it's always going to be what if, what, you know, if if Tavares was healthy um, for the entire year, that series, what if Jake Muzzin doesn't go down in game six, uh, again, what if overtime goes differently in game five? You know, it, it's all these, you know, it's all these question marks. And, and this is where I was making the point there about overcorrecting and not wanting to do that. Let's take a look at it, right? Game five, it's one shot. Uh, game six, what a, <laughs> well, maybe the goal of the playoffs so far by Paul Byron uh, to go up 2 1. And then in game seven, um, at that point, you know, when you're up 3-1, it's tied 3-3. they pressure's precious all on the team that had yeah. the lead. Toronto, and was, no, Toronto was flat that night. I mean, there's no – They were 100% flat. And,
0: and, and I think we're we're in agreement that, I mean, they're not going to – They're 98% chance they're not going to move minor. I think we're in agreement that it does have to come internally and it's going to have to be the tweaks that they're doing and they don't have to change a whole lot because that, that was a championship caliber team, even with the defensive woes <laughs> that they had. I think we're in agreement with that. You know?
1: Well, and, and it stinks because uh, again, let's let's talk about the pandemic and how this affects, how this affects. I mean, every team, but mm-hmm. also the Toronto Maple Leafs. Again, when you sign contracts like Matthews, Tavares, and Marner, how many years ago? And then even William Nylander's contract, you're expecting a cap relief at some point every season, right? So you're banking that you know their cap percentage, right? is going to go down over time. Right. And so you're thinking it's not going to be as, as, as uh, I guess, as handcuffing as your team, as you, as it is now. And and so that's another thing too. So what if this pandemic never happens and what if, you know, Toronto and the league doesn't lose billions of dollars in revenue. And therefore that's why the, you know, the cap isn't flat and therefore, you know, there's money to spend here uh, completely different conversation, I think. Um, so just, just to give you an idea fourteen. Percent cap it for Austin Matthews, basically fourteen for John and thirteen for Marner, and basically nine for William Nylander. Do some quick math on that. That's a uh, that's a lot of cap percentage that's tied up within fourth players. We talked about that extensively. Uh, but again, when you sign those contracts, you're you're expecting that cap percentage to go down a little bit as the cap rises. You're not getting that relief. Uh, And so it's making this job a heck of a lot more difficult for Kyle Dubas and the Toronto um, upper management. And and again, I think that, you know, there's definitely some blame to be placed on Dubas because, you know, 100% again, you're very top heavy. Uh, defense is, is shaky to say at best. And goaltending, uh, Freddie Anderson, I thought has been good. But again, there's been a time where I feel like he's been on an island and having to try to steal an entire series, sometimes all by himself. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and again, I don't disagree with the fact that you don't dangle Marner. I just don't. The problem is, Toronto media, they'll be all <laughs> over that league. and then And then you have know, internal issues, right? Uh, number two, uh, again, which what teams are in a position to take on a cap hit like that? I just, I nobody yeah, is. No, and,
0: and, and I and I agree with you. I, I think, oh. Mike. My, my question is this: um, I, I think it's no secret. I think if you're looking at the UFA forwards, you mentioned Jason Spezza. Yeah, I can see that. I'd say Zach Hyman's the only other one that that you're thinking about bringing back. Fair on the forward well, end. Well, I think
1: Zach Hyman is a, is an important piece. I, I think. Yeah, that yeah,
0: he, he, I, yeah. This is just this is just leading into my next question. So fair that yeah, yeah, that's, yeah okay.
1: That's fair. That that's yeah. That that's due for a contract. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and then you've got Bogosian, Hutton, and uh, Marinson. Um, do you see any of those guys back?
1: You know, and and so here's the thing. Again, with Zach Bogosian making a million, uh, Ben Hutton making nine hundred fifty thousand, the numbers are attractive. So it wouldn't surprise me that They're brought back. Uh, Bogosian to me, if there's any one of the three between Marinson, Sandine, and uh, excuse me, not Sandine, uh, Hutton and Bogosian, I think you go with Zach Bogosian, honestly, even though in most rosters he's probably a seven or an eight. Sure. And then I think Freddie Anderson, obviously definitely
0: worth a look here. You look at, and this is, this is my ultimate question here, Nick, um, as we're we're just over an hour, we're like an hour and like 10 minutes or something like that. If my master's me correct, getting there anyway, Uh, you look at the projected camp space for the upcoming year, estimated salary expenditure at 65 million. So about $12.5 million in salary cap space for the Toronto Maple Leafs entering next season. So when we talk about how do you fix this? Uh, I would say you're looking at Freddie Anderson, maybe at, at five million again, four million, something like that. You're probably going to hope that he takes a team-friendly deal. Uh, Zach Hyman, maybe at two million. So there's seven million. You got five million dollars left, maybe six if you're lucky to do something about this. Uh, is there one guy or a set of a couple of rental forwards that you're looking at in the National Hockey League? I know it's a difficult question because there's a lot, a lot of players that you could look at uh, with this black cap. Is, is there a certain guy or a certain you know player that plays a certain style that you feel? that would be a good fit in Toronto. Um, and of course, Toronto is going to lose another body to the expansion draft. So it might free up some things as well. But uh, is there someone that you're looking at that you feel, you know, is a guy that should be a good fit that Toronto should be
1: looking at? I would be interested to see if Eric Stahl is available next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say Eric Stall because I mean, he's a guy, yeah, he's, he's up there, but he's a playoff veteran and anytime that I see him really on the ice, I mean, he's doing really well for the Canadians uh, right now. Um, I think he, he's a guy that he still can skate. He can still control things, but more importantly, he just knows how to settle things down. I, I think just a leadership role. I think that'd be, if you can get him on a team friendly contract, I'd like to see Eric Stoll, maybe take a crack at it. Um, but, you know, it's hard right now because we don't really have a list of all the free agents. Like in trades can happen um, Do our phase that, you know, get eligibility. So do they become UFAs? Um, you know, does a guy like, say, maybe let's go back to the Minnesota Wilders. They say Nick Bukestad, um, if he did not uh, come back, um, does he go up there? I think he's a guy that could play a very good bottom six role for the Maple Leafs. Just the kind of player that he is, Um, I think that he'd be a really good addition to a Toronto Maple Leafs. Because, again, he can skate. One of the things that I think what hurt Toronto in this season was that bottom six really was slow. It was much bigger of a contrast between their top six uh, then I think Toronto really wanted. Um, and so they basically had two different, almost two different hockey teams on the ice, uh, depending on which line was out there. Um, and yeah. I think that's a big problem for them. So I'm going to pause at my
0: last question of the day. Um, and wild fans might not like this. Um, and the cap hit might be too high. How would you like to, how, how would you see Nick Benino? In the Toronto Maple Police sweater. Do you feel like that would be a really nice addition? I think they need another center.
1: Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Have, you know, and that's exactly, you know, I think, you know, when you're talking about William Tavares, no, you need that center depth. Uh, that, you know, when you looked at uh, Toronto's forward gap is besides Matthews and Tavares. Uh, and mind you, I think Tavares is a good two-way player. Austin Matthews, not so great defensively. That's been written for, I don't know how, how but they don't really have that true bona fide depth center that can play win face-offs, play good defensive hockey. Um, you know, again, Joel Thornton, he's up there at 41. Jason Spess has played better on the wing. Um, Galchenyuk can technically play all three, but I think, again, he's better suited on the wing as well. Pierre Angball has spent time at center. But all those names, again, aren't your true centerman, at least in my opinion. Nick Benino, I think, would be a good name if, if he's available. There's no question that if you can get him for the right amount of money. Now, again, Nick Benino was making some pretty pretty good change here. Now, mind you, that contract was, a, I think, a four-year contract that's just expiring um, that was uh, originally signed. But yeah. if they can get him a team-friendly deal, that would be a steal for Toronto and a much-needed addition to their bottom six. All right, so we're in agreement that Kevin Fiala, Matt
0: Dumba, and seven first rounders are going for Mitch Marner, and Mitch Marner's come back to the, <laughs> the Wild. Um, Nick, do you have anything else to add on Toronto here?
1: Yeah, I, I, at the end of it, for for Toronto Maple Leafs fans, I think what's important is yeah, this this was not the result they were looking for, um, and it's a very tough puzzle to fix. There's no question about it. But I think the big thing you got to look at is okay, you know, realistically, money in dollars wise twelve million million dollars is not a lot of money. You're not going to really get a lot of in and out in this roster. I'm curious as to when uh, it's July 17th, I believe is when the restricted lists come out or the, I should say the protected lists come out, uh, who Toronto is gonna be protecting because that's gonna give us an idea maybe where Kyle Dubas is thinking. And how does Seattle play it? Again, does Seattle take a look at uh, a team like Toronto and use it to their advantage and maybe try to get a player like Mitch Marner over or a, you know, somebody else, say a William Nylander, who I think is the most, um, you know, I guess, valuable forward on the roster right now. I do think it's William Nylander, um, who's a guy that I think has taken a lot of really good strides the last couple of seasons and has really proved his worth, not only in the regular, but also in the postseason as well. So it's going to be interesting. I think that may be your only opportunity to try to make any significant improvements uh, here, but other than that, you're plucking in forwards here and there. But, you know, as you mentioned, this team is, they're a contender. They're a contender. They need to make the right switches. I think they do need to get younger in their bottom six. Um, you're going to have to get some team-friendly deals out there. And, again, what helps the Maple Leafs is that there are a lot of other teams in this scenario, so they're not a team that's alone in trying to get players on reduced salaries. There's uh, you know, a lot of teams. The Minnesota Wild, after they signed Kaprizov, Fiala, and Eric Sinek, are going to be also looking to pinch some pennies on who they bring back as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's could be some – free agents out there that maybe weren't expecting um, and maybe Toronto could take advantage of that. But um, at the end of it, they're okay. They need, you know, to maybe just switch some pieces around. They're, they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be okay. Yeah. And you know, you look at a team, if
0: you're a player that plays for, you know, I guess, New Jersey, Arizona teams like that. And, you know, Toronto comes calling, you definitely think about that offer. Cause even with their, again, their defensive liabilities, they're still a high octane offensive group. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, definitely at least entice the offer of at least thinking about playing in the six up in Toronto, if you will, but that will do it for episode number 64 here. Of course, catch us for the healthy scratch interview segment for episode number 54, where Pat Micheletti and Derek Felska um, are going to join us to talk a little bit, Minnesota wild, a little bit NHL, and a shade of some Huskies hockey talk as well. Um, And of course, check us out for episode number 65 coming up on Sunday as well. That will do it here as we're going to be covering i should say we're going to be covering for episode number 65 it's going to be omaha it's going to be on the docket forgot to make sure that we remember that one more time uh for my co-host nick max and i'm noah grant and we will see you in the den next week
1: one-timer coming, they score set fires, and she scores! Dana Rasmus sent for the Huskies, a Dwayne Kaprizov, in for a chance to win it, he SCORES! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.